Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship on uh, this final Sunday of March. Would you join me for prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, which begins the greatest week of the year for us as Christians, a week that we call Holy Week. And we will have a special services here at the church on Thursday evening from Maundy Thursday, 6 o'clock, and at Friday, service uh, of the cross at noon uh, in the sanctuary. Today we are taken back almost 2,000 years ago to the ancient city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed with people who had come to celebrate the Passover, some historians say that there could have been as many as 3 million people in the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover. It was crowded. It was busy. It was full of energy. But on this particular Sunday, thousands of people lined the streets because they had heard about this person named Jesus, who had performed miracles, who had healed the sick, who had even brought the dead back to life. A man who many were asking and saying, could he be the new king? Is he the new king? The promised Messiah, the new Moses, the one who would deliver God's chosen people from Roman rule. So as you can imagine, there was great anticipation. There was great excitement. There was great hope alive on that day. And then as the people waited for their king to make his grand entrance, here comes this lowly man named Jesus, humble, riding on a donkey. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And they waved palm branches as he passed by and they threw their cloaks on the ground. Children ran before him, something that always happened to welcome and honor a new king. Yet even in the midst of all this excitement and energy, this shouting and adoration, there was something very dark and sinister looming in Jesus's mind because he knew what he was about to face and what was about to unfold in the coming days. It began with a celebration, but it would end with crucifixion. It began with great happiness, but it would end with many tears. It began in triumph, but it would end in tragedy. It began with the waving of palm branches and shouts of praise, but it would end with the most violent form of capital punishment. We should note that Mark, and we've been journeying through Mark's gospel throughout Lent, Mark dedicates six chapters to the events of Holy Week. Over a third of his gospel is dedicated to Jesus's final days in Jerusalem. And so as we read this account, we learn a lot about Jesus. And what I'd like to do today is not just talk about Palm Sunday, but talk about five significant events of Holy Week that I think we should pay attention to. The first, of course, is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Mark writes, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
Many people spread their cloaks on the ground and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's the main lesson or lessons of Palm Sunday? I think it's this. Jesus showed incredible courage entering Jerusalem in such a public manner. But his entry on the back of a donkey signified the kingdom that he came to bring. It was a kingdom of peace and not war, a kingdom of hope and not despair, a kingdom of love and not hate, a kingdom of mercy and not exploitation. As we talked about last week, even Jesus' own disciples didn't understand what his kingdom was all about. It was the opposite of an earthly kingdom. When Pilate would enter Jerusalem, he would have soldiers and cavalry and an army. He would intimidate, show his raw power. That's how Pilate processed. But when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he was humble and he was riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. Another lesson of Palm Sunday is that Jesus came to save us. How does he save us? Well, yes, he died on a cross. He would suffer the most painful and humiliating of deaths at the end of the week. But through that, he exposed the sin and the violence of this world for what it is. He exposed the worst that human beings can do. And next week, we'll be reminded that that violence and death do not have the final word. But there are all other ways that I think he continues to save us. If we have paid attention to his teachings and to his parables and the things that he has to say, if we listen, he saves us from our selfishness, from our materialism, our jealousy, our lust, our meaninglessness, our judgment, our self-righteousness, our anger, our addictions, our arrogance, our fear, our hopelessness. We need Jesus in our lives because left to our own accord, we don't do very well. Let's move on to another event of Holy Week. Mark tells us that the next day, Monday, after cursing the fig tree, Jesus enters the temple and he drives out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What's the lesson here? Well, Jesus was angry. He was fed up. He was tired of how the temple had been turned into a mecca of consumerism and that the poor were being exploited through both the temple tax and the overpriced animals that were being sold for animal sacrifice. There is such a thing as anger, and anger can do a lot of damage in our lives. And there's also such a thing as righteous anger. Righteous anger is how we bring about change. Righteous anger is how we make a stand. When we've had enough of a certain situation or a certain condition that we feel called to action, 
That's how Jesus felt in the temple that day. And make no mistake, this didn't do him any favors. This upset a lot of people, and, and Jesus knew it. But he was tired of the house of God being used for everything except for the purpose for which it was built. Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans, and the Romans used the high priest to control the people and to ex exploit them financially. And Jesus had had enough. It was time for a change. Let's look at a third event. Jesus is back in the temple on Tuesday, and some of the Pharisees try to trap him with a question. They say, teacher, we know that you are sincere and show difference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Well, Jesus could sense their hypocrisy. He knew that they were trying to trap him. And so he asks, why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And so they did. And he held it up and he said, whose head and whose title is on this? The emperor's. So Jesus says, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed. If Jesus had answered, yes, pay your taxes, he would have upset many of the people living in Judea under Roman occupation. But if he had said, no, do not pay your taxes to the emperor, he would have been arrested on the spot for sedition. So he calls them out. He outsmarts them, as he often does throughout the Gospels. What's the lesson here? The lesson, I think, is that it's up to us, it's up to the people to determine what belongs to God and what belongs to the state. And in a world where those two things are always being mixed, this is a challenge. As Christians, our ultimate loyalty is to God. But I think Jesus is also acknowledging that there's nothing wrong with being a good citizen of the state. Jesus shows the Pharisees that he is smarter than they. Many will use this story as a proof text to support the separation of church and state. And I don't think that that is completely wrong. As I've already said in this series, this Life of Jesus series, Recently, in the past year, many people have replaced faith with politics on either the left or the right. And I think it's problematic. Politics should not be our religion. Our faith must be bigger than left or right, red or blue, liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat. But Jesus would remind us that our ultimate loyalty is to the kingdom of God, which transcends country and transcends party and ideology. Let's look at a fourth event. It's during Holy Week in Mark's gospel that Jesus gives us the first commandment. Somebody asks him, teacher, which commandment is the first of all? What does he say? You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the lesson? Well, the lesson is simply, this is what matters most in life. Faith and relationships. It's not about being rich and famous. It's not about building the biggest business or acquiring the most stuff, even though we all get caught up in that. It's not about living in the right neighborhood, sending your kids to the right schools, driving the fanciest car, getting into the country club. Life, Jesus says, is about faith and relationships. And the earlier we can figure this out, the better off we will be. But unfortunately, many people don't figure this out until they've tried just about everything else. Author David Brooks describes what he calls the second mountain of life uh, this way. And I like this metaphor that he uses. He says, if the first mountain is about building up the ego and defining the self, the second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. If the first mountain is about acquisition, the second mountain is about contribution. If the first mountain is elitist, moving up, the second mountain is egalitarian, planting yourself amid those who need and walking arm in arm with them. Different people move to the second mountain at different times in their lives. And some people never get there. They can spend their entire life clawing, climbing, scrapping, seeking to conquer the first mountain. But the truth is the first mountain doesn't ever have a summit. Or if you reach the summit, you find out that there's still other people who have achieved a higher summit. More money, more success, more prestige. And people who spend their entire lives on the first mountain will find themselves very lonely if they don't shift. Jesus says life is about loving God and loving neighbor. It's about faith and relationships. Lastly, this morning, this Palm Sunday, one more situation in Holy Week, and we're going to have a service to commemorate this on Thursday. All of this comes together when Jesus institutes what we now call the Lord's Supper. Mark tells us while they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. This took place in the upper room at the end of the Passover meal. Judas had already betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew it. So when Jesus said these words, it was probably confusing to the disciples. What's he talking about? This is my body? This is my blood? What's he saying? What does he mean? Well, as the night unfolded, as they went out to Gethsemane, Jesus was arrested taken into custody, falsely tried. He was beaten, mocked, and executed on the next day. And that's when it became clear 
to the disciples. And this meal, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, it has many names. It became an incredible gift and an incredible legacy. What's the lesson? The lesson is that there is no substitute in life for gathering around the table with your friends and with the people that you love. That's where life is shared. That's where meaning is found. That's what Christ is calling us to do. And yes, we spend so much time stressed out and fearful and worried and rushing around. And so many times we miss the life that is right in front of us. And before we know it, it's gone. There were eight people shot and killed at some day spas in Atlanta a few weeks ago. They didn't know that was going to be their last day. There were 10 people shot and killed in Boulder, Colorado this past week while they were shopping for groceries. They didn't know that was going to be their last day. Every one of us lives our lives every day, and the truth of the matter is we don't know when it might be our last. We don't know when our time might be up. What we do know from the Last Supper is that Jesus calls us to be together, and he reminds us that there is no greater mandate than to love each other, to care for each other, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Because life is full of Good Fridays, and we all know that. It's full of heartache and pain and suffering and disappointment. But what we must always remember in the midst of our greatest trials is that it may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. Amen.